and welcome to Challenges That Change Us, the podcast where we talk to our guests about how their challenges have impacted them today and how they overcame them. Whether you are someone that feels like you are thriving right now, trudging through the mud or somewhere in between, this podcast is designed to give you practical advice, profound insight into your own experience and inspire you to embrace your life. My name is Ali Flynn, the co-founder and CEO of Tri Altitude Performance, and I will be your host. It's time to buckle up your seatbelts and let's get this ball rolling. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome for another episode of Challenges That Change Us. I hope you're all having a fantastic week. For those of you eager to embark on a journey of personal development, gain insight into the people around you and enhance your communication skills, I have a special recommendation for you. Consider attending one of our DISC personality profiling workshops. These workshops are designed to provide you with invaluable tools and knowledge to better understand yourself and others. Whether you're looking to improve workplace dynamics, foster strong relationships with family and friends, or make a positive impact on your community, our DISC workshops can be tailored to meet your specific needs. By participating in these workshops, you can expect to gain self-awareness and discover your own behavioural style, strengths and areas of growth, enabling you to navigate interpersonal interactions more effectively. You'll also start to understand others, learn how to recognise and adapt to different personality styles, improving your communication, collaboration and conflict resolution skills. And you'll enhance your relationships develop meaningful connections, build rapport and foster a more harmonious environment in both personal and professional settings. So if you're ready to take the next step towards personal growth and transformation, I invite you to DM or email me today. Let's arrange a conversation to discuss how DISC Workshop can benefit you or your workplace. Don't miss out on this opportunity to unlock your full potential. Contact us now and let the journey begin. Today, I have the honor of introducing you to an extraordinary individual, Jared Bolton, an endurance athlete on a remarkable mission. In this episode, Jared takes us on a profound journey from the moment he discovered an innocent mole on his head, only to learn that it was stage four melanoma. We dive into the subsequent months that followed, talking about the taxing treatment process and the immense challenges that he faced along the way. But that's not all. The second half of this conversation, Jared recounts his mind-boggling adventure of running the Gibb River Road, an incredible feat accomplished by only one other before him. Imagine running a staggering 660 kilometres, enduring seven and a half days of relentless effort, clocking in 128 hours of running whilst battling a scorching 55-degree heat and encountering a vast array of Australian outback wildlife. And on top of it all, he undertook this astonishing adventure after he completed treatment. As someone with a background in endurance training myself, I found myself captivated by Jared's story. I couldn't help but ask him 101 questions, firing them off in rapid succession. This man is nothing short of inspirational, and it was an absolute pleasure to meet him and hear his tale firsthand. Not only is Jared pushing his own physical and mental boundaries, but he is also doing an incredible job of raising awareness for melanoma in this country and working tirelessly towards an ambitious goal of zero deaths from this disease. 
So buckle up and prepare to be inspired as we dive deep into this awe-inspiring journey of Jared Bolton, a testament to the power of resilience, determination, and unwavering human spirit. Welcome to Challenges That Change Us, where we explore stories of remarkable individuals like Jared, whose experiences leave an incredible mark on our lives. Let's get started. Welcome, Jared, to Challenges That Change Us. Thank you so much for coming on today. Thanks for having me, Ali. I'm really excited and really looking forward to getting into it. Is this your first podcast? Correct, yeah. <gasps> oh, actually, no, it's probably my second one. The other one was kind of, I didn't do a lot of talking and I was with someone else. Oh, there was two of you on. Yeah, so this is my first one-on-one. Are you nervous? Very. Yes, <laughs> you know, I think so many of our listeners don't know that, like how nervous we get. I still get nervous when I come on to interview people. Yeah, yeah, just talking to someone new, I guess. Um, it's not my strongest point anyway, so, yeah. <laughs> and it's a complete stranger, but don't worry, I've got your back on this one because I can chat. Wherever we need to, I will take up the conversation. <laughs> Jared, I love to start every episode with just a little get-to-know-you question so that I can get to know you a little bit and so our audience can get to know you. And that question is, what animal best describes you and what is it about that animal? I've had a really hard think about this one. and. The one that I can come up with the best is the longhorn owl. And the reason why that is, they're just a very observant owl. They like their solitude. They're very protective. They're very hardworking and they're very dedicated to their family and friends. So I think that's uh, pretty well describes me. And they're a creature you don't see very often, you know, like, don't you think like they're not something that you see every day or once a week? Well, we don't. Do you guys, because you're over in Western Australia, yeah? Yeah, correct. Yeah. No, I've never seen one. No. And Margaret River, are you Margaret River? Yeah, I'm in a small town in Margaret River, yeah. Yeah, so for all our overseas audience, that's in the western part of Australia. So Jared and I couldn't be further apart if we tried in this country right now. We're well known for the wine, the beer and the surfing. <laughs> come over. Yeah, come and visit. So Jared, let's, let's get into your story. We've got a couple of things to cover today. We're going to be talking about your experience with getting diagnosed with a melanoma and we're also going to be talking about your experience with the incredible run that you did, which is how we found out about you. You were actually on your run when one of our listeners stopped to have a yarn to you, right? Yeah, correct. Sophie, yeah. yeah. Yes. Amazing woman. Oh, she messaged me. She's like, hey, Arles, I think I've got you a guest. I'm over over west and I just ran into this guy who's running on the road and I think you should interview him. So that's how we got the link in and here we are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, she was an incredible woman. So Massive shout out to Soph. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> Let's start the story with your diagnosis of the melanoma. Can you set the scene for us around what made you start to think something was wrong or what did you notice first and what happened after that? So the full story, I sort of never really kind of ever thought anything of it. And I was just headed into the local barber a few times. She always mentioned to me that I had a mole on the top of my head. Just being young, didn't think much of it. Thought, oh, yeah, no worries. You know, I'm a freckly person. It's just another freckle. And that was probably a good probably six to 12 months later, I noticed that it was really starting to get quite itchy. Again, you know, didn't think much of it. Thought, oh, you know, a diesel mechanic, you know, bumped my head on something. And then I noticed it was really bad and it wouldn't go away. Yeah. And there was a scab and stuff like that. And yeah, couldn't get rid of it. And it was there for a few months. And I said to my work colleague, I said, look, can you just have a look? Because it's just really bad. And he goes, oh yeah, it's just a scab. And 
anyway, when I was home, I said to my partner, I said, look, do you mind having a look? Do you reckon I should go to the doctor? She's like, oh, yeah, it's just a scab, but go go to the doctor. So I went to the GP and, again, he didn't think much of it, cut it out. I went back to work. He sent it off for a biopsy and then probably less than 24 hours later I was getting called from the doctor and at the time I was on night shift. So I was asleep during the day and I woke up to all these missed calls from the doctor and I was like, oh, something's got to be important. So I rang them back and they said, look, when's the earliest you can get home? You know, you really need to get home. And so, yeah, I got the next flight out, which was the following morning. And and that night I was talking to another guy that was at work who didn't have the same cancer, but he had a cancer. And I sort of spoke to him and I said, look, where do I go from here? And he's like, look, you won't know until you talk to the doctor. And so I took his advice and yeah, went and seen the doctor the next day and they were like, look, we need to book you in for surgery, spread really far, you've got stage four melanoma. And at the time, you know, I was living in, in well, I still am, living in Margaret River and so Perth's a three-and-a-half to four-hour drive. I got the flight to Perth and then had to get my mum to come up and, and get me. My partner was at work and had the kids and, yeah, and then literally probably about three days later I was booked in to have plastic surgery, which never eventuated. Yeah, got it cut out and then I uh, had a big bandage around my head for about a week and kids were really scared of me and, yeah, that and just at the time sort of as we progressed, my wife told me that she was pregnant with our second and, yeah, so she was having a bit of morning sickness and, you know, I'd, I'd started some radiation and then eventually some immunotherapy and I was forever going to Perth and then to Bunbury and, it was during that time of the whole COVID situation. So over in Western Australia, we had like these little borders set up. So we couldn't cross the border without getting a pass. And so to go to medical stuff, I had to get a pass every time. And I was going every two weeks and I had to, uh, I was allowed at work because of COVID. Um, I couldn't get sick and, you know, I couldn't make others sick and try to get fly home and, and that kind of thing. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's about my story really. Yeah. And I don't know a lot, Jared, about melanoma. Like it hasn't touched my life or my world at all, really. I'm trying to think. When you say stage four, what does that mean? So stage four is probably the worst one you can get. It's the severity of which it's grown. So a lot of people don't understand either, but it actually starts from stage zero. So stage zero is just, you know, your general one that, you know, people would go and get cut out and and they're okay or free frozen off. And then, yeah, stage four is sort of how far it spread and mine had spread sort of from the top of my head down in through my neck and into my limbs and stuff like that. Luckily it hadn't spread that far, but it still spread pretty far. And it was in your lymph nodes as well? Yeah, correct, yeah. So did they have to remove those in the surgery? Yeah, so I was lucky in the sense that they went in behind the back of my ear, which touch wood was the better part to have it spread. If it spreads into the into the front part of your ear, then it can spread through your face and, you know, then you might not be able to smile or have much facial expression, that kind of thing. So I was lucky in that regard that I still, you know, look normal today. But, yeah, so it went down the back of my neck and then through the back of my shoulder and I had a heat cut out sort of just from the top of my underside of the ear all the way down. Wow. Sort of to the top of my collarbone. That's huge. Yeah, yeah. How long ago was this? This was sort of 
kind of right at when COVID started. So it was like 2019, early-ish 2019. That's a tough time to be diagnosed at any stage is tough. But when COVID first came out, we didn't know what was happening. Hospitals were shutting down. Like it would have been a really horrific time to be trying to get medical treatment. Yeah. And at the time too, I sort of, you know, the doctor spoke about going on this trial for this immunotherapy and he sort of said, look, you may or may not qualify to go on this trial. He was talking about, you know, $100,000 a go. That you would need to pay? Yeah, and the average person can't afford that. You know, Mm-mm. I couldn't afford that. You know, guys like mum and dad and and my partner and that were, you know, stressing out far more than what I was, you know. Yeah. And, yeah, it turned out that literally my first immunotherapy dose about six months later, it came on the PBS scheme. So I was really fortunate that, that that had happened. Were you heading down to having to pay for it and then it came where you didn't have to pay for it? Is that what you mean by that? Yeah, yeah. I honestly couldn't remember what PBS stands for now, but, yeah, it's a medical scheme that basically, you know, the more expensive drugs, it helps, you know, guys like us out. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, at the time I was, you know, really stressed about, you know, being able to look for the kids. You know, wife was pregnant. You know, we had another baby coming and, yeah, so, you know, it was a really stressful time and then add COVID on top of that. And then- and treatment and your wife being sick with pregnancy, like every aspect, it was coming at you from every angle. Yeah, yeah. And and obviously work was a big thing, like I couldn't go back to work. Yeah. And, you know, I had no way of, you know, I'm a diesel mechanic, so I had no way of working from home and stuff like that. So eventually uh, after, oh, I think, nearly about six months of being at home, I'd run out of sick leave, I'd run out of holidays I got one of the supervisors to bring me home a laptop and could do some work from home, um, some office-based stuff. So that was really good and eased peace of mind, I guess. Yeah, that's really really stressful. Yeah, and when you think back through that, what would have been the hardest part for you, do you think, out of all of that? Because every part of that sounds hard. Was there a part for you that when you think back? I think for me personally, I think just knowing that I couldn't provide for the family, Mm. that was probably the hardest part you know, or how long I could be able to provide for the family. That would have been the hardest part. But in terms of the whole, you know, diagnosis and all that kind of thing, I was I was pretty upbeat, pretty positive about it. You know, it, it had happened. There was nothing else that I could do other than, you know, go through the treatment and listen to the doctors and, and stuff like that because, you know, it was stressful enough with everything else, you know, you didn't want to have to stress about that too, you know. And questioning, you know, I often hear people talk about that. You have to trust the process and the doctors at some point making that commitment to say this is something that I can let go of in my worry bucket. I have to like trust that they're doing their job and that I just go along with it because otherwise it's just more worry in that bucket that's already so full and overflowing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. And what's the prognosis? Because stage four, when you say that, I'm just thinking, my God, what does it mean for your future? Yeah, look, I honestly don't know. At the time, like I said about the trial, like, you know, it was a five-year trial. That was obviously at the end of the trial. So long-term on that particular drug is not known, you know. It's five years max from when I started. So, you know, what's to say that 10 years' time it's kind of, you know, flushed through your system and you're okay or, you know, it could happen again or uh, just don't know. The long-term of it is just unknown at the moment. How does that sit with you? Uh, like I said before, you know, like you can't beat yourself up over it. You know, like it is what it is and you have to be positive and you just have to move forward. And, you know, one thing that we sort of learnt too was just just enjoy, 
your time. We've now got our little boy and so he's our little blessed child, so to speak. And yeah, you know, he gives so much energy to the family and, and so much love. And, you know, my daughter feeds off him and he feeds off her and it's just great to watch and things like that. You know, you can't miss that worrying about, you know, what might happen in five years' time or ten years' time. So you just really got to learn to live in the now, I guess. Do you find that it's easy to sit in that space or you kind of dabble between the two? Uh, I think I'm probably in between the two, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. It's easy to think about it and think about what could have been. But, yeah, you know, you just it's done, it's finished, it's it's on to the next stage, so it's easy to, to keep going with that. And I'm wondering what strategies or what helped you along that part of the journey? I think just, you know, I've got a close family and friends, you know, just people that I could always just, just talk to, you know, thinking about, you know, my partner being sick and just gave me that real quality time with my daughter. Not everyone has the same outlook that, you know, I do and, and everyone worries about things differently, you know, that's human nature. But, you know, one thing that really stuck with me was what that guy said was, you know, there's no point worrying about the unknown. And, you know, I, I didn't know what the next day was going to bring. I didn't know what the next hour was going to bring. So there was no point stressing about that. It was, you know, if I felt sick in an hour's time, then, you know, you feel sick, you know, like you need that support of that family and friends and that around you that understand that. And, to be a part of like a melanoma community now at the time was, was really great. And, and, you know, I met some great people from, from over East and, and locally, you know, and everyone has a different story. No one story is the same, you know, and, you know, I've met a few people that have, you know, I guess lost, lost their way and, and that kind of thing. And, it's guys like myself and, and others that can sort of pull them back and make them appreciate, you know, who they are and, and what they are and what they give to A, their community and their friends. And without even knowing, you sort of become a bit of a inspiration to, to the outside world that, you know, haven't suffered a big thing like melanoma or whatever it may be. So it just gives you that positive outlook that, you know, anyone is okay and, and as long as you have those friends, you know, and you certainly find out who your true friends are, that's for sure. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it, when you go through something so big, you do start to see who's around and who's not around and how different people respond to what you're going through and how you personally respond to it because you can't know till you go through it, right? You couldn't possibly predict how you're going to be in the face of adversity until you're there. Yeah, yeah, totally, yeah. And, you know, people that you think, you know, you you would think as an acquaintance or something like that, then becomes, you know, your best friend. Mm. Everyone's got a story to tell of of someone they know or they've heard something or or that kind of thing. So, you know, it's those little stories that just keep you going mentally as well. And it's not to say that everyone survives. You know, we, we as a community, we lost someone who fought for eight years, you know, just the other day. And you know, that's quite hard and quite sad to know. She was stage four as well, so the same as me, you know, and mm. and she was a very positive person and and she did a lot for the community. So, you know, just to be able to have those kind of people, you know, 
for my time is is was exciting as well, you know. Mm. I was going to ask you that, whether there's people that have helped you in that space as well. You know how you said that now you kind of can be there for other people and give them that hand up when they need it. Was there people there for you on your journey that were able to do that for you? Yeah, 100%, yeah. And we'll, we'll talk more about it later when uh, we get into the run. But, yeah, you know, working with uh, Melanoma Australia and Melanoma Western Australia and stuff like that, you know, those guys are just fantastic. Like They understand and, you know, they've got great support networks and, great community groups and talking groups and and that kind of thing. So, yeah, it was really great. And I remember you saying when we had a chat, you said to me, but I'm just an ordinary guy. Like I'm not really sure that my story is is podcast worthy. (laughs) And I was like, mate, your everyday is someone else's extraordinary. Like when we go into this run next, like your story that you have just told is extraordinary and even what you're doing in the community and how you're helping to bring other people along on the journey with you when they feel like, you know, they're having those dark days or the days that are really challenging or the days they feel like they can't get out of bed. For you to have a hand there, to walk beside them is massive. But also let's just talk about this run, like 660 kilometres across the Gib River Road. I can imagine mostly dirt, if not all dirt, yeah? Mostly dirt, yeah. There was, there was a fair bit of bitumen, mainly for the trucks and, and stuff like that, but yeah. We have a lot of overseas listeners. Are you able to explain where the Gib River Road is and just give us a little bit about the scenery before we get into the why and the what and the how and the who? The Gib River Road runs from Derby to Kununurra in the far north of uh, Western Australia. It's a famous sort of four-wheel drive track. There's massive waterfalls, big gorges, we had plenty of wedge-tail eagles, bulls, kangaroos, crocs, snakes, emus, dingers. Yeah. <laughs> All the animals that everyone sees in Australia on the road. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just an amazing country, uh, something that, you know, you don't see in day to day. I've been to places in Queensland and I'm trying to think of the names, you know, that have the somewhat of the ranges kind of look out, but you won't see anything like this in Australia other than, you know, the north. If you can imagine, it's kind of a cross between sort of Utah and maybe like Boulder, Colorado kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. Just to give you a little bit of an idea. With much better animals. And much better animals, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, Jared, talk us through where did this idea come from? Like let's start at the beginning of this because this is incredible as well. Like to think that, you know, you'd just been diagnosed. How long on that journey were you and what started this idea? So it was about two years ago, me and a few few friends were, you know, sitting at a cin- local cinema and we're watching the Bant Film Festival. You know, I was probably coming up to one of my last sort of rounds of treatment and we were sitting there and there was these three guys or two guys and a girl and they spanned the globe and they picked a spot to run. And the two guys sitting next to her, she just turned around and said to me, she goes, I want to run the Gib River, let's do that. I said, okay, cool, but why not? As you do when you're on your last um, round of treatment. Of course, let's just go run 660Ks. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. (laughs) So, yeah, basically, uh, yeah, just turned around and had my phone there and put it straight into my training calendar and my coach seen it and he goes, oh, God, like I don't even want to know what this is because I just put like something like, oh, I'm going to do something stupid, you'll love it or something like that in, in the calendar and sort of, forgot about it for a while and then probably about a year ago we said okay let's commit to this you know let's do this and obviously you know I had the story of the whole melanoma and and she was the one that really wanted to do the Gibber Road so we put the two together and we both set out to to achieve it yeah and then 
we sort of got closer and closer and we're like, look, you know, when are we going to do it? And up north they have like what they call the wet season, which is generally the summer and everything floods and a lot of the roads and that kind of thing are closed. So we decided in May in 2023 we were going to run it. Were you a runner? Like I heard you mention that you sent it to your coach. Were you in training? Is this like did you go and run marathons all the time? Like give us just a bit of a history on like what you looked like in the fitness world before you made the decision to go and run the Gib River. Super fit, yeah? Uh, I, I wouldn't say super fit, but I tried it. <laughs> yeah, look, before I was diagnosed, I was uh, well into triathlons and Ironmans and, and stuff like that. Right. I started back in 2014. And so just so we're clear on what an Ironman is, because not everyone knows that. So a 4K swim, 108K cycle and a 42K run. Yeah. yeah. You used to do those, did you, Jared? Yeah, I did uh, my first one in 2015. And then just before I was diagnosed, I'd, I'd done two. Wow. I did one in October and one in December. So I'd done three before I got diagnosed. Totally sidetracking. Was it Bustleton that you did? Where did you do it? So the first one I did in 2015 was Bustleton. And then in October uh, 2018, I think it was, I went to Taiwan and did one over in Taiwan. And then two months later, did Bustleton again. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's so amazing. I could talk to you about Ironman all day, but that is not what I'm on here for. So let's talk about the Gib River. So you said that you had decided you'd set a date and did you start a training plan and then in the months were getting closer to it. That was where you were up to before I absolutely sidetracked us. Obviously once COVID hit, triathlon kind of dried up. There was no events. You know, I, I enjoyed riding my bike, but, you know, to put a helmet on it was just hard all the time and, you know, I had a very fat head and fat neck for a long time. I was just thinking then when you said that, when you literally said put a helmet on, I'm like, mate, that is not hard. I was trying to work out where you were going with that because <laughs> of the surgery. Yeah, yeah. I thought you meant like, you know, when people talk about going to the gym, it's an effort to get there. I was like, it is not hard to put a helmet <laughs> on. What? But you mean post-surgery. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So, yeah, for, <laughs> for me it was just easier just to chuck on a pair of shoes and they ended up having this competition around town and, you know, you could jump on there and, you know, you'd try and do like a fastest time around a particular course around town or through the bushes or whatever. And so, yeah, that was just a little challenge through COVID that someone had created and went out and marked up and stuff like that. So it kind of turned me into a little bit more of a runner then. And then, yeah, because there was no triathlon, um, the running event started and, because I was more run fit than than anything. Yeah, just kept kept going doing some running events and then eventually I did my first ultra marathon 50k event in 2021 and uh yeah, got through that okay. And then so then I decided that along with a mate or a couple of mates in town, we said okay, let's run the Margaret River Ultra, you know, like we live in Margaret River, we have to say that we've done it. So that was at 80k's, you know, mostly along sand and along the sort of famous like Cape to Cape track in, in WA. And just before that, I, I actually ended up having COVID. So that was nowhere near where I thought I would be. I can't believe you went around an 80K after COVID. Did no one talk to you about long COVID at that stage? No, <laughs> no one have a conversation with you about the potential no. of like, you've just been through radiation, you've had cancer, now you've got COVID, just, you know, maybe we'll pull back on your training a little bit. <laughs> yeah, that was never going to happen, but... <laughs> Runners need to run. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. So, yeah, so we got through that and then obviously yeah, all the events started opening up and so I sort of went away from that and went back to triathlon and thought, okay, I'm going to give triathlon another go, you know, like my ultimate goal was to go to Kona, the world champs for Ironman and 
I set out. That was one of the reasons I did Taiwan was to sort of really try and Qualify. target. Yeah, and I mean, I finished ninth overall and fifth in my age group and I didn't get a spot. I was like, I was devastated. I did not know this about you. I'm like, sorry for all the listeners, but I'm a triathlete, well, was a triathlete. So I'm like, you know, right now I'm like, yes, and tell me more. And <laughs> we are totally going to get off track here. Um, that's incredible though. Like just congratulations on that. That's a huge achievement. I know you didn't make it in, but that's insane. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it was the second time I'd been to Taiwan and I just really loved, you know, the people, the atmosphere, just getting around was different, unique and just one of the best places I've ever explored. And so I really wanted to go back there and so I tried to put the two together and, yeah, we got we just missed out so we didn't quite achieve the goal but it turned out it ended up being well worth it anyway with COVID coming and obviously the cancer and that kind of thing. So, so yeah, so anyway, then I decided that I'd jump back into triathlon and just a year ago, I guess on the weekend, I, I did Ironman Cairns and, again, I sort of set out to do the same again and try and have a crack to, to get into Kona and, uh, missed out again, and which was unfortunate. But then some of the local stuff started coming back on board, and you know all the main groups sort of started, you know, getting people in that together again. And so I ended up doing a local race down here, which Carry Valley Triathlon. That's you know probably one of the hardest ones in WA, other than the Ironman. So I did that, and then it was time to start training for the Gibb River. So I only really, actually, only probably had about be about three months to train for the Gibb River. What? And then, yeah, other than adding in some bike work and stuff like that and some swimming and and that was only about, yeah, 12 weeks. 12 weeks. Most people do that for like a 10K run, just, you know, <laughs> like let's set the scene here for everyone. Yeah. It's like, you know, training for an Ironman is like six months, nine months, 12 months, you know, and you're going to run 660Ks with 12 weeks. Yeah, my coach probably wasn't that happy with me at the time but for a great cause though because you ran and raised money for the melanoma foundation australia didn't you yeah but you know at the end of the day like you know i might sound funny in saying this but a 660k run was honestly easy you know like like i said people will think i'm weird for that but what made it hard was you know things like where are we going to camp at night have i had enough food have i had enough drink you know all the external stuff like, you know, kids playing up for mum and, you know, that kind of thing. Like The actual physical running. And it would be the same for an Ironman, I'd imagine. I say that even just about when I used to do half irons. It was like the amount of effort and energy and resources that went into fueling, food, sleep, hydration, you know, everything else, planning your training. Like when am I going to get this in? It's raining. How am I going to do that? What's it, you know? everything else took up so much that the actual event was such a minute part of it. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And, you know, there's so much unknown about something like that. Like I've never spoken to anyone who's done, you know, 80 to 90Ks a day for seven days. Like I, I don't know anyone. I've heard of people but I don't know anyone. So everything was a challenge and everything was new. And there's no precedent. There's no like this is the training plan and this is what you should eat. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And, and this you, is how you prevent injury. Like, Yeah, you know, it might sound a bit weird, but I went out and did a lot of strength work. I did a lot of what I would call, you know, silly stuff. You know, I was getting up at 1 o'clock in the morning and trying to run 30Ks before a, you know, 12 and a half hour work shift. But essentially that's what you needed to do to get the endurance up. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'd wake myself up at 
11 o'clock when I was on night shift and run in the middle of the day and then go back to bed and try and get a couple of hours sleep before work and, you know, especially during summer where it's, you know, 55 degrees. I was going to ask about that. Let's just take a pause there. With your temperature, How that would have been insane at that time of the year. Those of you who don't know, in, in the Pilbara in, in uh, Western Australia gets, you know, it's almost a desert. So most of the time it averages sort of early 40s to 50, 55 degrees on some days and it's really humid as well. So so what time were you running when you did the Gib River? Were you, were you running through the night and then sleeping during the day in the heat or like what did it look like for you? The first two days we just ran through the heat. I, I sort of had a plan of how I wanted to execute the run in terms of longevity and, you know, the first day it kind of didn't really work. Um, the second day it was a little bit better but still didn't work. The third day it was like, you know, we, we knew we were getting there and then it was probably about the fourth day we sort of went, no, nah, it's, you know, we've had two bad days. We didn't get to where we wanted to. You know, there's all these external factors that started playing havoc, I guess. So we turned around, we just went, no, nah, look, let's start, you know, let's start half an hour earlier and we'll have like an hour and a half to two hour break in the middle of the day. We'll try and find you a shady spot. And then, of course, you didn't know because we didn't know what was 50Ks up the road, you know. You hadn't gone and driven the track before you ran it? No, no. So, <laughs> uh, well. There are so many levels of this your coach would have been dying. <laughs> I'm like, my background's in PT and I'm just sitting here going, mate, what? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, uh, we're, what, four and a half thousand Ks away from, from the track, so... It wasn't just that easy to. I know, but you were going to run it. <laughs> like, no one has run this. Like, oh my God. <laughs> you know, look, I, I, in all honesty, I've, you know, when I finished school, I did some work up there. So I sort of knew what I was in for, but I'd never, no, I'd never driven the whole thing. You didn't go and plot out, like, this is where we're sleeping. This is where we're going to make it to at rest. And no. Nah. Yeah. So we ended up using, uh, those of you who don't have it, uh, I suggest you download Wiki Camps because. That's ultimately what saved us in terms of camping and stuff like that. So whoever came up with that, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we are going to put some money towards you. We are going to fund your thing. Like, thank you so much for saving our <laughs> <Yeah>. lives. <laughs> We're coming to the end of the podcast and we are not stopping because I have so many questions about this and I'm like, I cannot stop you here because we are just getting started. <laughs> so how many days did it take to complete? Seven and a half days it took us wow. to complete. I actually wrote it down took us about 128 hours of total running time to complete over seven and a half days. Wow. What was the highlight for you uh, when you think back uh, through that 128 hours of running? I think I'd be lying to you if I didn't say the finish line was the greatest part. <laughs> when I could see it. <laughs> yeah. And I, I said to my when my coach looked at the data, he's like, why did you run a three-minute 20 in the last kilometre? It's like, because it's the finish one. <laughs> yeah, and I had to get it done. Because people were watching. <laughs> <laughs> so anyone that's not a runner, that's also so fast. Like, that's like mega fast. A three, did you say 328, did you say? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. No wonder you're trying to get into the world championships. <laughs> yeah. That was obviously a huge thing. What else was a highlight? You know, two things I'd probably never forget. And the first one is the support team. There's no way you could do something like that without them. They each bought a different skill set and two of them have never seen me do any form of endurance event before. They've seen me work, so workmates, 
you know, so they know that I'm capable of long days, you know, I've got a high work ethic, that kind of thing. Running in 50 degree heat for 128 hours is a little more intense though. Like that would be so impressive and inspirational to watch. Yeah. So, you know, with it, you know, I had one that took care of the nutrition, made sure that every day was pretty similar. Are you telling me that you didn't have a dietitian out there? Like you didn't have, you just had a mate doing your nutrition? Yeah. <laughs> Fully planned. <laughs> well, I think she's a work in progress, to be honest. <laughs> so she's not fully qualified, but she's she's done on the way. Training, so, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, you know. So every day was pretty similar. We could work out what worked and what didn't. If there was anything that made us sick or any of that kind of thing, and then I had one guy who was just really good at you know finding places to camp, setting out the structure for the day, that kind of thing, making sure there was no crocs there that were going to come into your campsite. Yeah, yeah. And he was probably the one that had the most fun with me, I guess, to put it mildly. I was going to say, can you tell me what you mean by that? <laughs> Just one example is uh, I think it was about day three. I started to really get a sore knee, you know, as you as you can imagine. And so anyway, I was like, okay, let's tape it. Let's, you know, try and, you know, get me through, obviously. So anyway, they taped it up and they put a little face on the knee and then they called him Wilson. Like the ball from the movie with. Tom Hanks. Yeah, yeah. So they were like, oh, he's come out a bit early, but, you know, he's made an appearance. Kind of <laughs> so just little things like that, you know, and every day he he drew a different face on and that kind of thing. So they had a good laugh with me. and So it, it made it e- my job easier, I guess. I feel like we need to put a disclaimer on this podcast that says people do not try this at home. Like <laughs> there is so much of what you're saying that I'm like, please no one go out and do this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't recommend it. Trust me. <laughs> But incredible and like mind-blowing and so much of what you're even saying. You said there were two things. One was your support crew, which sounds like they were freaking sensational. Massive shout out to them because yeah, you can't. Endurance endurance runners, triathletes, kayakers, whatever it is, any kind of endurance athlete, we are only what we are because of the people that surround us, whether that be our partners at home that support us 110% to wake up at 3am and do crazy stuff or to spend half the day planning the food for the next, like you eat, sleep, think everything is about the next training session, you know? So you can't do it without that support crew. No, And yeah, so the second one was, uh, and this is a day I won't forget, was you know, lunch times and stuff like that were just like, okay, how are we going to feed him? You know, it felt like every day it felt like it was always about me, 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 me. There was this one particular day where the guys, you know, we ended up finding this really nice clearing. So we set up the cars and, you know, we pulled the awning out and the guys had set up a chair and so that was where I was sitting. They'd had lunch ready and a couple of them had cracked open a couple of cans and they were literally just lying on the river crossing just chilling out and. You know, just something so simple, just watching them just really enjoy where they were at the time and, you know, they were having a good laugh and making lots of jokes and one of them set up the hammock. So that was probably just something really like from my point of view where I could just go, look, it didn't feel feel like it was all about me. It was about, you know, how they're going to get through the next few days and all that kind of thing. So, yeah, that was that was a day that I probably won't forget. Their experience of it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and, and yeah. The, you were creating memories for them and for you. Everyone was creating memories out there. Yeah, there's lots of stories. Yeah. And remember that they're watching you run. So they're like they're in a car probably with air con and music yeah. while you're out there 
running in the 50 degree heat. You know, hats off to them. Yeah, they were on the two ways telling people that, you know, we would run in for melanoma, you know, slow down, you know, that kind of thing. And I think that's how Soph, Soph sort of got told about it and knew about it and that kind of thing. You know, she drove past. And yeah. So the support along the road just kind of made it easier as well. And the other chick that I ran with got over just over halfway and unfortunately she pulled out. Due to injury? Yeah, due, due to injury, yeah, which was a bit of a shame, you know, for her because, you know, there was a lot of pressure that I think she put on herself to finish it. She would have been the first female to do it. So, you know, that, that's pretty good in, in that regard. And to get over just over halfway was really good for her. It is devastating, though, when you set a goal. I mean, you spoke about it earlier when you were aiming to get into World Champs. Like you set a goal and if you're just shy of it, you're allowed to feel that disappointment, even though it's an amazing experience and you'll always have it, you're still allowed to be disappointed. Yeah. And, you know, she's the type of person that won't hold back on that. She'll learn from that and she'll go at it. You know she's going to go and top you next year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, and get faster yeah. than you, right? Like just I, I haven't met her but I feel yeah. like this is coming. Yeah, and look, she she can have it. Like, <laughs> um, and so tell me, we've talked about the positives and we've talked about some of those awesome memories. What was the most challenging part of the run? When was the moment that you really wanted to give up or you just thought, what am I doing here? Uh, oh, there was plenty of times where I wanted to give up. I think probably day three was a time where I was probably pretty close. You know, we'd set out for roughly around our 80-ish, 80 to 85K for the day. We'd picked a spot to camp. The guys had gone ahead, set up camp, and I was going fine. Like, I, I was all good. I was fine. I was feeling good. And then, you know, it was about 18Ks from the end. And literally it was like someone flicked the light switch. I was like couldn't see more than, you know, meter the computer screen away. I was like really blurry and I, I could just feel my body just slowly shutting down and boys just taped off where we were and I could barely make it to the car. And I was like, there's photos of me. Like, I think it took me about 40 minutes to have dinner. Um, the amount of times like I got woken up just to keep feeding myself to, to have dinner and, you know, to then bounce back from that and have to do it again the next day. How? How do you bounce back from that? Because that's a pretty tough spot to be in on day three, like day three. So, you know, you it wasn't day four and a half, like you were at the beginning of the run and you weren't over halfway. So how did you find it in you to get up the next day and go again without your running buddy? Because the next day was without her, yeah? Yeah. So I think just, you know, to be able to get up and just, do it for a cause, I think, was the biggest mm. motivation. And and that's where, the, you know, the, the support crew were just amazing as well because they're like, look, anyone can give up, you know. Mm. Anyone can set out to do something and give up. That's easy. But, you know, they kept reminding me that it was never going to be easy. You didn't want to do it if it was easy. If it was easy, everyone would be doing it. Exactly right. And, you know, there's a lot of people out there that have, lost their life to melanoma or have been diagnosed with melanoma and, you know, we're not there. We're not at zero deaths yet, you know, um, and that's the harsh reality of it. So I think that was one of the big driving factors was just to get there. And also too, like just having like my, my dad there who's probably my biggest hero, just having him there and just seeing him in the morning and seeing him the next day and, you know, he's... 65 or 68 or something now and you know for him to come and do the journey with us and then you know to do what he did at his age and his abilities you know really kind of made me feel like I was nobody sort of thing 
you know, I was really lucky to have him. And so, yes, we got through the next day and that night ended up being another really bad night. We ended up running a little bit later than we wanted to. And the reason why was because we decided that we're going to go and stay somewhere where we could have a shower. We could, you know, sit down and have a bit more of a chat with each other. Have and, a chair. Yeah, that kind of thing. So Have a roof <laughs> and a shower. <laughs> yeah, that Here's was some nice. <laughs> So, you know, we were four days in and it was the first shower and, you know, it just made everything feel like a billion bucks, so to speak. I just keep rewinding to our conversation yesterday when you said to me, like, my story's not really anything. <laughs> now I'm like, that's on repeat in my head as we're talking because I'm like, mate, <laughs> your story's insane. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Anyway, we got on the two-way and two of the support guys had gone ahead and they were like, oh, I think we've missed the turn. Like, we can't find the turn. And we're like, oh, okay, we'll come back. We're heading towards where we were. We've got the wiki camp set up and you haven't passed it yet or whatever. Come back and follow us. And they're like, oh, no, we can't. We're, we're just limping at the moment. And we're going, why are you running? Like, why are you limping? <laughs> and we're just looking at each other going, what are they talking about? Anyway, sure enough, the car was limping. As in flat tyre? As in they'd bent a shocky. <laughs> so anyway, we got into the camp and we're like. Don't tell me you only had one car out there as well, by the way. No, no, we had two. We had two, yeah. <laughs> I'm just checking because there's a few things you've told me <laughs> in this story that I'm like. <laughs> so, yeah, so we got, to the, we got to the end and we're like, what do you mean you're limping? Uh, okay, so they're running. Why? This hour of the night. And then we got the cars into the camp spot. And they're like, oh, yeah, we've been to Shonky. And we're like, oh, no. Luckily, one of the guys that was with me was a mechanic as well. We've pulled it out and it's like, you know, 90 degrees. And we're like, how are we going to fix this? I'm scratching our heads and you know, we're going, oh, you know, there's a mechanic. You know, we're on our phones and we're going, you know, don't worry about updating everybody how, how the run's going. Like, well, how do we fix the car? Like, how do we? You know, where's the mechanic? Like, can we fire Shocky up from Perth? Who do we know in Perth that can organise one and all this sort of stuff? And so eventually we we didn't have any luck, but we had a plan for the next day. And, you know, we were down to one support car and like mentally, you know, driving back and packing up all the camp gear and then, you know, being able to cook food and putting all the food into one car and one car being overloaded and all this kind of stuff. And that's playing on my mind because I'm like, this isn't my car. This is somebody else's car. They've come all this way to do this thing for me. I'm going, oh, like this would have just been so much better if it was my car. And anyway, we got through the next day. We got through that night and we pulled it out and we'd had a plan for the next morning. And anyway, I'd started running and, and the film crew had come along and they're like, oh, no, they fixed it. And I was like, what? They fixed it? Like he's fixed it. He's like, yeah, yeah, he's back on the road. He'll catch you at breakfast. I'm going, it's 5 o'clock in the morning. Like what time did he start this thing? I'm just going like. What, what what's he done? Like I'm full like thinking about it and I'm like, oh, like, you know, is the car going to make it all the way or, you know, just where your mind yes. goes, unbelievable. But and he goes, oh, no, no, I won't tell you. I'll let him tell you. Thanks, mate. I'm just going to like run for the next two hours, freaking out in my head. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> so we've got this spot where we'll go for breakfast and sure enough, he was there. Breakfast was laid out. We're having our coffees. We're sitting down. We're like, okay, so what's happened? How did you fix this thing? I literally tell everybody now to go out and buy a jet boil, one litre cooker because that's how he's fixed it. Really? Yeah, so he's taken the cup off the top of the jet boil and just used the flame to heat the shocky up enough to bend it back straight. What? 
This is why I love the territory in Western Australia because the stuff you guys come up with is insane. <laughs> only, only somewhere like that. I was expecting you to be like some people were just walking past and they helped us, you know, because that could also happen, right, out there. Like the randomest stuff happens out there. Yeah. Yeah, so he, he sure enough got the nickname exactly that after that. So he was nicknamed Mr. Outback and <laughs> just, just went off from there. Oh, my God. There's things like that that went along where, you, you know, mentally you can just tune out and not have to worry about the run and just have a good laugh about, you know. That would have kept you going for a while. That yeah. would have kept You would have been playing that over in your head for a while. Yeah. Yeah, and coming up with nicknames. Yeah. What am I going to call him after that? Yeah, yeah. Did you by any chance by any chance capture all these moments? Like was someone out there filming or please tell me you have this on camera? My partner's friend was getting married. Anyway, she went to their wedding and she raised it with uh, a guy in Perth that we know who loves to take photos and stuff like that. And it was just a general chit-chat. And then he turned around and went, oh, I know someone who is a videographer who wants to do something like this, you know, to, to further progress his career. And he's like, let me put it to him. So anyway, we got hold of this guy and, you know, we've become mates since. And he's just done an amazing job at doing a three-part documentary series about the whole thing. So we talk about the melanoma. We talk about training, injuries, scans, all that kind of thing. And then obviously, so that's the first two episodes. And then the third one we're hoping to release September, October this year in regards to the run itself. So good. Yeah, so you can either follow the links in our Instagram page, which is at Gib River Run 23. And we'll include that in the show notes as well. We'll include all of this in the show notes. Thank you. And or if those of you who aren't much into Instagram like I am, you can just YouTube Gib River Run and the first two documentary series is on YouTube. So I'm looking forward to the, the third one because uh, there's yeah plenty of drama which we don't need to go into. The Australian drama series yeah. of 2023. <laughs> I can only imagine. Like we have scratched the surface on some of these stories and I can tell there are so many layers to it. Like I want to ask so many more like, so what was the funniest moment and what was the most embarrassing moment and what was the, I'm sure there's so many more. Yeah. And you did it for fundraising, yeah? Yeah, yeah. So obviously, yeah, being diagnosed with melanoma, we did it for melanoma. So yeah, donations are still open now if if anyone feels free, especially after watching the documentary. Oh, so tell us about that. So can I put a link on the show notes as well? Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. And is there like a GoFundMe page? Is there something I can put up in our Facebook group community as well? Yeah, so you can either follow the link in our Instagram page at Run 23 or it's actually straight through the melanoma website. So if you just go onto their website and then you can search Jared Bolton, it should come up with donations through there as well. And what are you hoping to achieve with the money you raise? Like is it for a certain like treatment? Is it to bring on a staff member? The main goal is to just further advance the treatment. You know, I think we've come so far in the last sort of five years that that I've sort of dealt with it. But, you know, like I said earlier, we're, we're still losing people unfortunately and, the main game is to to get to zero deaths and and get that way and you know look don't know what the future holds but it's looking promising and so thinking about everything we've spoken about thinking about the time that you went through diagnosis and treatment through to your training for this run and just in between that time doing some crazy ironman and then going and doing the gib river run what kind of lessons like when you stand back and look at this from a birds eye view and think about this experience 
what are you taking away? I think the biggest thing that you can take away from it is, well, A, no two people are the same. Mm. You just have to go out and enjoy what you do. It doesn't have to be running. It doesn't have to be triathlon. It doesn't have to be crazy endurance events. I just love what you're doing. I love the moment that you're in. You know, love your kids, love your wife, your husband, whatever. Just just be in that moment and don't be afraid to try things because your life can just turn upside down overnight. Like I'm sure many people on this podcast have, you know, had this similar sort of thing. You know, there's no right way. There's no right answer, I don't think. I think the biggest answer is that you just got to live life. You know, don't be afraid to do something. There's so much that people stress about, you know, have I got enough money to pay the bills? Have I got enough money to do this? You know, can I go outside while it's raining? You know, am I going to worry about being sick? Now, if your kids want to go outside and jump in puddles, they're going to remember that for their life. You know, at the end of the day, they can have a warm shower when they get home, you know. So, you know, it's just an example, but just live life. I just don't want my youngest daughter to listen <laughs> to this though because we found her last night asleep in the dog bed outside. It was minus oh, like two degrees <laughs> and she was asleep with the two dogs and a little pillow. So can we just like, can we make sure that my youngest daughter doesn't listen to your advice? <laughs> but it's so true. Her and I might get along, I think. <laughs> but it's so true. Like, you know, and I, I've said this before on the podcast, like our kids do not have the right ribbons in their hair at school. They definitely don't have the white uniforms, but they are having so much fun on their road to becoming adults. And if we can be like a, it's a yes from us, it is a yes from us. It's so hard now because like there's mobile phones and people want to take photos all the time and stuff like that. And, you know, I, I, I do get that, you know, it's it's that lasting memory. Like I remember, you know, being a kid and we'd have the little Polaroid ones and you'd, you'd get out the film or you'd have to wait six months to be able to go to the camera shop to be able to get, wait. see how bad your photos yes. were and stuff like that. And yes. I do get it that now you can look at it, but yeah. just be in the moment, you know, you, you appreciate it more. Yeah, I think. yeah. And what do you want to say to your two children? your son and your daughter, you know, because we said at the very beginning that this wasn't easy to come on here and talk about it. And I'd said to you, think about it as a legacy that you're leaving for your kids. Don't think about anyone else in the world. Just think about your two children and your wife and what you'd want to say to them. And did you have a think about that? Yeah. And to be honest, I find that very hard. It's so easy to get caught up in life. And let's face it, life's hard. Life, Mm. especially adulting, life is so hard. Like I'd much rather be a two-year-old kid. Or at uni. (laughs) I don't know. Like my uni days are pretty fun. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, you have to just enjoy it. Yeah. You have to because you can just get caught up in the day-to-day and you miss so much, you know. So just like I said at the start, you know, just be observant. Just sit back, admire the world, watch it go by because, no matter what, and this is one thing I learned on the run, no matter what, life went on back home. Yeah. You know, my kids were still naughty. Yeah. <laughs> you know, kids still went to school. Yeah. It still rained. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so life goes on, you know. so Yeah. Oh, Jared, I have loved this conversation. Thank you so oh, yeah, thank much. You. Me too. Oh, thank you, it's been fabulous. I've Personally, I've taken so much away from just being in awe about your attitude towards life for starters. Like, you know, it is really unique and special and wonderful and and it sounds like it's been 
what you've needed to get you through all of this is the attitude that you embrace life with, but also just your fun loving nature. Like I just love the stories that you've brought to the podcast and I've loved listening to every single ounce of that story, you know, like I was sitting on the edge of my seat thinking, oh my God, what's going to happen next? And what then? And, <laughs> and so many levels of like, do not go out and train like you have trained. Um, do not follow Jared's <laughs> advice. Because no, um, <laughs> I was like, and how did you, and what did you like? Yeah. But also that's a lesson in itself. Well, we don't have to get everything perfect and not everything has to no, have right. um, structure. Yeah. Sometimes you can just go and do it and there isn't a way. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Like I said, every hour is different, you know. After this, I might be going to, I don't know, do the food shopping. That's right. That's right. Your wife's going to love you. You are going to do the food shopping. (laughs) You can tell her to thank me later. (laughs) And we love to finish the podcast with asking who or what in your world truly makes you belly laugh? Oh, that's a tough one. Do you ever burst out laughing when you run? Are you ever on a run and you just start laughing? Sometimes, yeah, yeah. Do you know what it is that makes you laugh then? I usually just think about, I don't know, dumb stuff. That makes me laugh. I just, I'm one of those people that just loves to laugh at other people's expense. <laughs> so I feel like everyone just kind of makes me laugh. I don't know. I think after running the Gib River, I think my dad takes the cake. Yeah. Just some of the stupid stuff he did. I just, like, I was like, how am I related to this guy? Like, luckily there's only <laughs> He was thinking the exact same, just, you know, he was like, who's this guy running like 80Ks a <laughs> Probably, day? Yeah. What? He is not related to me. I picked up the wrong baby at the hospital. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or he dropped me a few times. <laughs> <laughs> well, either or. <laughs> yeah. Oh, thank you, Jared. Thank you so much. No, thank you. Thanks, Ali. Cheers. What an incredible journey we have been on with Jared today. His story is a testament to the power of determination and resilience. He has proven, without a shadow of a doubt, that anything is possible when we set our minds to it. Despite the doubts and the naysayers, Jared's achievement stands tall. Not only has he conquered immense physical challenges, but he has also made an incredible impact on our country. Through his endurance feats, he has raised awareness about melanoma, leaving a lasting legacy for the future generation. He has set a milestone that others will strive to achieve and his story will undoubtedly inspire those who follow in his footsteps. But before we wrap up, I want to remind you to visit our show notes where you will find the link to Jared's documentary. Trust me, you won't want to miss it. You can also head over to his Instagram page for more updates and inspiration. Jared is a truly a legend in every sense of the word. And as we come to the end of the episode, I encourage you to reach out to me today if you are interested in discussing this personality profiling workshop for yourself or for your team. It is an opportunity to unlock greater self-awareness, understand others on a deeper level and enhance your communication skills. Don't hesitate to take the next steps towards personal growth and stronger relationships. Thank you all for joining me today and stay tuned and we will be back next Monday with another inspiring episode of Challenges That Change Us. But until then, keep believing in the power of human spirit and remember that anything is possible. Take care, guys. See you soon. Thank you everyone for listening and taking the time out of your day. I believe we can learn so much from connecting with other people's experiences and stories. I hope you've gained some strategies and insight from today's episode. You can gain more by joining our Facebook group, Challenges That Change Us, or next week we will return with another episode.